reading this morning is from the first book of Samuel, chapter 16, and verses 1 to 13, which is on page 287 in the Church Bible. And it's the account of Samuel anointing David. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he was sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy, with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. It is uh, good to be back today. And uh, your uh, family, your brothers and sisters in Cornerstone, send their greetings to you. And I, I like doing that kind of official thing of saying... Uh, we send uh, our greetings, and um, it is good to be with you today as we start a, a new series, um, uh, a book, uh, Route 66, which are available out the back at a very reasonable uh, bargain price of £6 for you this morning, uh, reduced from 8 99 Chris has done a special discount. So uh, if you fancy it, uh, do please um, have a look and um, grab one. They've got some good and useful things for us as we uh, look at God's Word. I don't know um, if you've ever seen uh, different people's Bibles. It's quite fascinating watching the sort of Bibles that people bring uh, to church. There's a couple of different types of people I've noticed. There's the, the person that kind of can't find one and, and is looking around and brings their massive kind of odd translation because they're kind of thinking, well, any Bible will do. As long as I've 
got one under my arm. There's the very nice kind of pink, kind of colour-coordinated one that fits neatly in the little clutch bag. And there's uh, ones like my friend has at university where he very proudly showed me how well it was read because the side of the pages had darkened with the grease of his fingers. And yet I noticed something quite interesting. This bit was very well thumbed. And there was a very small bit very well thumbed in the middle of the Bible too. And I'll leave it to your imagination to guess, as a teenage young man, what book he was reading. I'll give you a clue. It's written by Solomon. So, you'll get there. But the question for me is, how well do you know your entire Bible? Because some bits are easy, and some bits at first glance, I've got about you, are fairly hard. Some bits pose some difficult questions for us today in the 21st century. Some of the history is difficult to understand. How well do you know your whole Bible? In this uh, course uh, we're looking at, we're going to talk about eight different types or kind of genres that you can find in the different biblical literature. I'll list these for you. The first one today is narrative, the Bible as story. The second one is law. The third one is psalms. The fourth one is kind of wisdom literature. The fifth one is prophetic The sixth one is Gospels. The seventh one, Epistles, which are the letters to the churches. And the eighth is a word that I can never say, apocalyptic. Is that right? Yes, good. I always end up saying Calypso, which isn't right. Apocalyptic, uh, which talks about the end times. The end times. Now, just loosely, if I was to ask you, and I'm not going to ask you to do it, um, if I said, in the last year, which of these kind of genres have you looked at most in the Bible? For some of you who did the E100, you can proudly sit there and say, the whole thing. Good on you. For some of you, it might be saying, well, actually, I've found, and I'm not knocking it, I've found the Psalms have been very helpful for me at this kind of time. And for some of you, you may even say, well, actually, I tend to stick with what I know, which are the gospel accounts, because you can't beat Jesus. My question, though, is, How can we have a full and rich faith if we don't have a full and rich understanding of God's word? Because although we're looking today as the Bible at story, this is more than just a story, isn't it? This is God's very word. God's inspired word. God's word breathed into and and to give us life. And I'm not doing this to guilt trip you. I'm trying to say, well, actually, it's good for us as Christians to take seriously how do we understand God's words. And we're going to use uh, this passage, which uh, Martin read uh, lovely, uh, from 1 Samuel, uh, to look at that. And um, hopefully you've got it open in front of you. Uh, We looked at 1 Samuel uh, 16. uh, And we're going to look at two chaps, actually, 1 Samuel 16 and a bit of 1 Samuel uh, 17 as well. My Bible's just flicked open, so give me a second. While we're doing that, though, I'm going to flash up a little, kind of two lists for you to say, well, why bother with story? Why does God just not give us the facts, the things we need to know for salvation, just there on two pages. Why bother with all this story? And here are two lists uh, for you. I want you to imagine that all of you are young, free and single. Young, free and single. And you've logged onto some kind of dating service. You're looking for a a partner. okay? And there are two partners that come up for you uh, here. Partner number one describes themselves, whether they're male or female, as dog lover. A man or woman in uniform. An accomplished musician who loves watching films and putting on film nights for friends and is a strong 
animal rights activist without the whole kind of terrorism thing. The second one is a heavy smoker. He drinks every day from lunch till late. Is sexist, is a gambler, and is racist even when challenged about it. My question to you is very simple. Which partner are you going to pick? Just, just where you are, have a little think. Just which partner are you going to pick? Have a little think. Feel free to share it if you want with someone near you. Let's do a quick show of hands. Show of hands for Dog Lover. Raise your hand, Dog Lover. Dog Lover, raise your hands. Raise your hand behind, behind, just so we can see you. Okay. Oh, well done, you're dating Hitler. That's... Ooh. Tricky. He had his own dog that he trained, could do, could do tricks. He is technically a man in uniform. Uh, do you know that he could whistle to such a level that he could actually whis- whistle Wagner? That's quite hard to say. He could whistle Wagner. Um, pitch perfect. He used to love films and movies, especially from Hollywood. He used to put on film nights for his friends um, and was a strong animal rights activist. So much so that by the end of the war, um, if his dog was happy, he would follow the advice of his generals. If his dog was unhappy, he tended to do his own thing, which brought about defeat. Number two, you can probably guess where this is going. Who wanted the heavy smoking, sexist, gambling racist? Anyone? Yes. (laughs) You see, you know where this is going. Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill. God bless him. What's the point? Well, sometimes just bare facts are are not enough. And I know that for each of you, there are times, those dark nights in the soul, where maybe your Bible knowledge has just not been enough. This is why this is so important to understand all of God's word. Because when we read in the Bible, especially in the Bible as narrative, people going through things, but more than that, seeing God at work, It gives us a richness. It enables us to understand a bit more. Because facts are not just enough. It's not just enough to say, well, God is love. That's a good start. What does that mean? How does that work out? How does it work out for people of other faiths and other religions? How does it work out when we run far from him? The Bible is full of narrative and story that helps us understand that as we come. And we're going to try and give you just today a couple of tips um, about that list. Let's have a look quickly then at 1 Samuel 16 um, and 17 too. The passage was read to us and uh, some things are going to come up here um, on the screen. These are some common ways we tend to read this passage. The first one is this. If you think you are small and insignificant, don't. After all, David was the least, but God saw a king. These are kind of common things. I'm not knocking them too much. I will later. But at the moment, let's just go with them. Secondly, Going on to the Goliath story. However big your enemies, if you just trust God and have David's courage, you will strike them down. Thirdly, in life, we all have Goliaths, be they poverty or worry or doubt or fear. We all have Goliaths, things that oppose us. Whatever enemies we face, we know that God will give us victory in this material world, just like David beat Goliath. These are common things that are taught genuinely about this passage. Is there anything wrong, do we think, with these? Is there anything wrong? Yes. Do you want to have just 30 seconds telling someone near you just what you think might be some of the things that are they're not terrible, but some of them are. But, but what are the things that might be a little bit wrong about reading a story like we heard today and taking these as our teaching points from them? Does that make sense? So what might be wrong about reading a story like we heard from Martin reading today and taking these teaching points 
from them. Just have a little uh, chat. Just 30 seconds. I know you don't like doing it, but um, it's good to share. Okay, well done, well done. And I'm sorry for those of you who feel a bit uncomfortable sharing, but it's good to hear from each other. And because this, in one sense, shows how even just a small margin off can lead to some very faulty theology. And we take God's word seriously, don't we? Not just so we can be proud about how seriously we take God's word, but because God's word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And too many times, and this isn't me trying to bash you because I do the same thing, too many times when I'm needing just a little bit of a pep up, I'll read a story and I'll think to myself, well, that's good, that's a bit like me, and therefore God's going to do that for me too. And it's a very shallow reading of a story. In the same sense that if I said to you, there's a great play, in 13 words to describe it, hate destroys families, love is stronger than hate, and love is stronger than death. There you are, that's Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet for you. It doesn't do it justice, does it? Where's the richness? Where's the bit where you are taken along, where your emotions are changed? Because it's not just about head as Christians. And if you are a Christian who's just full of head knowledge, you can end up being very unloving. And you can quote facts and challenge people as to their behaviour being wrong, forgetting what God's trying to say to you and how you are meant to bring light and love to people as well. What are some of the problems then? Any thoughts? Jeff, you, you were having quite a vocal conversation. What, any thoughts? Uh, between Derek and I, we thought that it's a bit superficial. It's a bit superficial? Yeah. In the sense that it's just about kind of me and yeah. my problems and stuff? And it doesn't always work in practice. It doesn't always work in practice. We, we're not promised a material world full of free and pain. In fact, if we're Christians, we, we actually tend to face more persecution. That's what we're meant to do anyway. And that's a challenge. No, absolutely. We, we know that in the eternity to come, justice is done, but now, actually, maybe those material problems might remain. I don't know about you. I'll tell you what my biggest problem with it is. Um, I played cricket yesterday for Tame, tame Thirds. Uh, we won. It was a glorious day. Uh, I scored 18 before being cruelly bowled by a devious bounce off the pitch that was unfair. Um, without trying to blow my own trumpet, um, I think I was fairly instrumental. I was captain for the team, and... Uh, one of my field placings, especially, uh, made about we got a catch. I caught it at a short leg. It was good. And, uh, my batting performance, really, uh, the reason I got out so early was to allow others to come in and just show their skills. <laughs> and, uh, um, now, I'm not trying to be flippant. Here's the problem. The superficiality stems from a me-centred living, because we do tend to slip into that. And I don't know about you, every time I read a Bible story, I tend to think, how am I like the hero? And the problem with all of these things we've just looked at is that we become the David figure in the story. Does that make sense? So if I'm small and insignificant feeling, but God looks at me and thinks I'm a king, that's because I've taken on being David in the story. In the story, once again, if I think to myself, well, I'm struggling with enemies all around me. I feel attacked on every side, but God's going to help me beat my enemies. I am David. Are you getting this? You kind of understanding? 
In the face of all my Goliaths and whatever enemy I face, if God's going to help me fight them, I am David. And yet here's the problem. Apart from being a sinful man like David, David is there to do something else as we read the story. Because the hero of the story is not me. One of my lecturers at college says, there is a redeemer and it's not you. That's what he trains us as pastors. He says that's an important thing to realise. There is a redeemer and it's not you. And when you read this story, here's what I want to challenge you uh, to do. Um, this week, can skip on two, Becky. That would be great, please. Here's what I want you to do. See if you can read a story in the Bible, and not try and impose on it, but see how Jesus is the hero and how God saves. So, for example, in our case here, David is a king, though his outward appearance may have been deceptive. Even his own dad says, he's only the youngest, he's tending the sheep. He's going to be king now, and God has raised him up, this humble person, to be king. God's people are faced with a mighty enemy. And Goliath stands there and challenges them to send someone out to fight for them. The entire battle is dependent on this one battle. And David comes out as their representative. And he fights on their behalf. Thirdly, in the face of the enemy, God uses David. He brings him victory and he brings freedom for Israel. Now, I'm not trying to read too much of it. These are the facts. And when we start trying to read the Bible, and we know that Jesus is described and born in the same place, Bethlehem, in 1 Samuel 16. It begins in Bethlehem. Yeah, we know that he is described as kind of a son of David. The Bible doesn't do that by accident. The Messiah figure is foreshadowed in King David. That's what the Bible is trying to do. It has all these layers going on. Now, I'm not expecting you to be able to pick up the Bible and go, oh, right, so that's what it links to. Over time, it may come as we read and as we make notes and think, but I learn through commentaries, and I learn through reading, and I learn through talking and sharing. And I encourage you, when you read a narrative Bible story in the Bible, don't just think to yourself, what's the very simplistic message I can get? Do the work. Do the work. And Becca, I'm messing you around slightly. Can you go back just to the mirror signal manoeuvre bit? Here are some good questions to ask as you go into a Bible text to give you some understanding. Um, how many of you are drivers? Yeah. For some reason, mirror signal manoeuvre is one of those things that you just can't get out of your head, can you? Mirror signal manoeuvre. And uh, in the book, in uh, Route 66, um, in here, it describes these three things. When you're reading a narrative story to try and help you, some good questions to ask. And if you're making notes... I recommend making these notes. Mirror. Mirror. When you're reading a story in the Bible, look back and try to understand how the original audience would have read and understand the story. Look back. Don't read it from your perspective. Try and think, how are the original readers of this account going to understand this? Because you may be surprised to find that the thing that you think is the big theme as a 21st century Christian isn't. Some of the, the issues, and we were talking today, um, just upstairs with, with Ken before the service, the issue of, of Samuel being slightly devious when he, in, the, in our passage. When he comes, he says, well, what should I do? And David says, well, uh, God says, well, take this and say you're going to do a sacrifice. It's not lying, but it's kind of an interesting way of, of kind of seeing how, he, how God works. <laughs> but that's not the thing to be hung up on. The important thing is that God is going to use Samuel to anoint the next king. The first king Saul has let his people down and disobeyed God, and not followed the instructions, and allowed pagan things to come into the camp. 
God's going to do a new thing in David. But, but read it as the original people would read it. Read it as they understood David as their king. Mirror. Look back. Try and understand how the original audience would look at. Signal. This is the bit, as you read God's word, it's God's living word. Pray that God would be pointing you to understand the significance of the passage for today. Not just in a kind of, um, kind of way, but with the knowledge and insight of good writers. The Bible Speaks Today series is a good series of commentaries about the entire Bible. Have it as you read. If you want to get deeper into faith, let's take this seriously. How else is the story used in the Bible? Think about what are the flags that come up? The picture of David is used a lot. So so be thinking, how am I reading this passage thinking about that stuff too? And also then, manoeuvre. How is this passage going to change my behaviour, my understanding or my attitude? Because the best stories move you, don't they? The best stories you're not changed. I remember, um, and I've told you this before, my first date ever with a girl we went to go and see Saving Private Ryan at the cinema. It's uh, an epic war film, for those of you who don't realise. It's fairly brutal and graphic. And my relationship with that girl didn't last, surprisingly. I think we were both just stunned by what we'd seen. But the best stories move you. And too many times in the Christian faith, we become familiar. We become familiar. Do you know what I love about Zach? At bedtime, I read Zach a story um, when I'm around. And um, Zach always picks the same book. The same book. And I'm like, no, Zach, pick another book, please. And he goes, no, I want this one. This is my favourite story. This is my favourite story. And I challenge you once again, if it has been a long time since you've been reading God's word, let's get back to it being our favourite story. Not because it's just a good yarn, although it is, and not because there are points where naughty things happen, because they do, and not just because if you like battles, big battles happen, and not because tent pegs are used to end kings and fat kings are stabbed right through with the sword, not because of that stuff, but because Jesus is the hero. Mirror signal manoeuvre is not a bad thing to do, and that's in the book. I encourage you to do it. So let's finish off then. How can we apply this story... How can we apply it with Jesus as the hero uh, and God as the one who saves? Let's just think. So we've looked at Jesus uh, in the light of David then. So, here we go, the last one. Jesus, if we go on to the last slide, that'd be great. David is a Christ shadow. He points to Jesus. That's what the Bible talks about. Jesus is our shepherd king, even though at the time his image didn't fit what people thought a Messiah's image should be. Does that make sense? For David, it didn't make sense to the family. It didn't make sense to Samuel. What's fascinating in the passage, at the start of 1 Samuel 16, God says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. David is still described as handsome and ruddy. It's interesting that something's going on there. You know, it's not that that doesn't matter. And we shouldn't then infer that David was ugly. And I love that, that, that if you're looking for something to remember, I'm talking fast now. You know. If you're looking for something to remember today, take that one verse. Man looks at the outward appearance, that God looks at the heart. And take it and use it for how we read God's words. Not because we should do that, because it's something we shouldn't do. Let's get beyond the outward appearance. Let's go deep into the riches of God's word for our lives. And let's see Jesus as the hero. So in this case, David is a Christ shadow. He points us to Jesus. Jesus is our shepherd king, born in the same town, in the same family line. This is, these are not accidental things. God weaves a story through, through history and through nations. Secondly, God's people are faced with sin, death and the devil. That's our Goliath. That's our biggest enemy we face. We are separated from God by the lives we lead. 
We're quaking, unable to fight. Goliath represents that which is against God. Who are we in the story then if we're not David? We are the Israelite army. Now we're not the Jews. We are different to the Jews. And the church is different to the Jewish nation. I'm not trying to say that. But we are God's quaking people. We're not the hero because Jesus is the hero. That's a slight different way of looking at the story. We're unable to fight. And yet, glory of glories, Jesus comes to fight on our behalf. As David goes out to battle, he's given an army. He doesn't need it. Humbles himself, strips himself right down. Jesus takes off the glory of heaven and comes to earth in our place. Fully human, in one sense weak and yet gloriously powerful. He comes to fight on our behalf. Our substitute faces death for us and is victorious. Now the difference between David, because David is not Jesus is that Jesus actually died. And Jesus rose again in his battle. But that's the glory of the victory. That's where the story becomes richer as we get to the end. And lastly, the power of sin, the death and the devil is utterly defeated on the cross, bringing freedom for us. That's a good way of reading the story. It's not the only way you can read the story of David. But that's not a bad way of reading the story. Because God is the hero. Jesus is the saviour. And we are a people that can be changed as a result. Hopefully that's helpful for you. And I challenge you that not every Bible story fits so easily. And there have been some very poor attempts at trying to impose Jesus on passages which are just about the riches of the kingdom of God. But Jesus is there. He is there. If you do the work, you'll see how he's being pointed to. In the law, you'll see how he's pointed to. In those difficult bits of Leviticus that we often skip, you'll see how he's pointed to. In those genealogies, those lists of names, you'll see how he's pointed to. And hopefully Route 66 will help you. So then, more than a story. More than a story. Here we go to finish. Has this all become a bit over-familiar? It's a good question to ask. What's your favourite book? The Bible is a collection of books, but what's your favourite book? Let's cling to this. This is, this is life itself. How able would you say you're able to, to read the story in this way? Now, please don't think that I've sat down as some kind of mind that's been able just to figure this out. I've read some good books that have helped to understand a little bit about this. And it may be you're sat there kind of going, I'm not sure about this at all. Go and read commentaries, see what they say about it. Let's challenge each other. But lastly, how confident are you able to tell the story? To tell this wondrous story? Because stories are only worth their salt if they're told. And that's the problem in the church today. We're, we're too slow to tell the story. And the research shows that's because we don't know the story very well. And that's not to guilt trip you guys because you're the rest of the church too. And I count myself in that. But so let's take this seriously over the next few weeks. Those of you who have done E100, well done. You might find this is an extra. You might think, well, I'll stick with my E100. But it's a good start. And uh, I'll look forward to hearing more how Jesus is the key.